Guys, we've been working through a sermon series, our summer series, as it were, and it's been called Torn Veil. Let me read this passage, this verse, out of the Apostle Paul's letter to the, the, the church, the churches in the region of Galatia. He says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus died on a Roman cross nearly 2,000 years ago, just before he breathed his last, it said that the veil, the curtain that separated us, humanity, people, from the place where the very presence of God would manifest, the Holy of Holies, is what it was called, in the very innermost part of the, the temple. That veil, it is said, was torn in two. And the life that was made available to us through Jesus' death was now made available to all. Not just a priest once a year, not just through the blood of goats and lambs, but because of the blood of Jesus spilt on a cross, because of his life given for us to pay for our sins, to wash us and, and cleanse us and to restore us, we can now pass over. We can now step through the veil that's been torn and experience the kind of life that Jesus himself lived and demonstrated for us. So we've been looking at different categories of everyday life. We've said it a few times, but if you've not been around, we actually took a vote at the very outset of this series. We've been going seven or eight weeks now. Um, we can actually put up the, uh, the list of topics that we've covered so far. Do we have that? There it is. Work, stress, family, uh, marriage, suffering, um, and well-being money last week. Today, at last, we come to romance. These, by the way, are the categories that you picked. These are like the top 10 or whatever. Next week, we'll just tackle a bit of a light one, politics and social justice. No big deal. Mm -hmm. And then we'll finish off on the 13th with uh, staff's pick. I think we're still sort of debating over exactly what that's going to be of a leadership team that, that meets and prays for the church every week. But we've been looking at each one of those very practical categories of life and asking ourselves the question, what does the life of Jesus, the life that Jesus now lives, live, lives through us, what does that look like in our workplace? What does that look like when I'm stressing out and feeling overwhelmed and depressed? What about my family? What about marriage? Etc. Etc. And this morning, we're going to talk about romance. Now, let me just add this disclaimer before we get right into it. Uh, we did marriage, and so we predominantly talked about, like, what does the cross applied to marriage look like? Um, and we were speaking primarily to married couples or, or people who are aspiring to be married. And then towards the end, we talked a little bit about what, so what are the implications for someone who maybe is not married, who maybe never will be married. Uh, this morning, as we look at romance, I want to begin by focusing on what the cross applied to romance looks like 
for people who aren't married yet. Not to say once you're married, the romance stops. It just, it, it morphs. There's something about a decade of sleep deprivation that just does something to your love life. It's, it's different. Um, so we're going to talk about romance um, primarily in the context of a dating relationship, and then we'll kind of work our way up to, to marriage towards the end. You guys with me? All right, let's do it. Let's have some fun. Let's, let's start with this. We're going to go to a few passages of scriptures. Um, they will be on the screen. We're going to look at Romans. Don't go there yet. Ephesians, 1 John. There we go, the cross and romance. Uh, but let me just, let me, let me ask this question first. How many of you have ever been in love? Yeah? Hands go up across. Have you ever been in love? <laughs> Married couples looking at each other. and Yeah? Can you remember your very first time falling in love? Can you remember that crush you had when you were like five years old? Does that count? Like, what are we actually talking about? Like, what do you mean falling in love? That's, that is kind of the question. What do we mean by falling in love? I can remember vividly my very first uh, crush. And for a five-year-old, I, I, I swear, I... I I think I was actually in love, as much as a five-year-old can be in love. Her name was Erin Lappergard. <laughs> she was stunning. She was stunning. I can remember it so vividly. Um, I don't think I was the only one in love with Erin. In fact, I think all of the boys in my kindergarten, Mrs. Kuklinski's kindergarten class, we would chase Aaron Lappergard around the recess. I remember one afternoon, we're chasing Aaron. This is what we did, and I, I think she, she was into it. We actually caught her. The boys caught Aaron. And uh, don't, don't get the wrong impression. This was not like, this was not assault. Okay? This was all very, it's just five-year-olds being five-year-olds. So we caught Aaron, and they, they said, Simon, kiss her, kiss her, kiss her. So they kind of like just, they had her. Sounds terrible. <laughs> Sounds awful, I know. And so, so I went for it. I landed a smooch right on her arm. <laughs> it was magical. It was magical. Apparently, she told the teacher, because when, we, when the bell rang, we lined up to go back inside. Mrs. Kuklinski, she, uh, she said, now children, I need to uh, remind you that we do not kiss each other on the playground. And she gave this big speech on how it was, it was just, it was bad for hygiene and we could catch germs and, and I, I just wanted to die. It was the worst. Um, now I know what you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. I am completely over Aaron, all right? Like, I'm married, my wife and I, we've talked it through, like, I, I'm totally over Aaron. My little boy, Shirley was actually just telling me this earlier this week. Have we, we have talked about, I've told you about Aaron, right? I was five, it's no big deal. <laughs> my boy Judah, my wife just told me this earlier this week. Uh, he comes home, he's three, he's going to turn four tomorrow. 
he announces, I wasn't there, my wife told me, he announces to Shirley, he says, Mama, I love Campbell. Campbell's the little girl that, uh, that he was playing with that day. As it turns out, earlier that day when they were playing together, Campbell, some friends of ours, their little girl, came to my wife and said, Miss Shirley, I think Judah really loves me. <laughs> so falling in love, here's the point. It seems to be a human phenomenon. Whether it's the five-year-old crush, or if it's perhaps something a little more serious, um, we, we all tend to experience this thing that we now refer to as falling in love. Let's see what the scriptures have to say. Let's go to the next slide. Romans 5.8. One of my favorite. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, i.e., unlovable. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's go to Romans 8. And he speaks of this love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians, the same person Paul writing now to the church in Ephesus, he, he prays. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide how long how high how deep is his love may you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And finally, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Our desire for love for romance, to, to be an intimate relationship, it's a reminder that we've been created in the image of God. The whole idea, the feeling, the motivation, the choice that we make to love and to fall in love, to stay in love, to fight for love, comes from the fact that the God who created us loves. 
In fact, the scriptures go so far as to say that this is how we know what love even is. That God loved us so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. And we reciprocate. We, like our God, extend that love to others. If that's true, then why is it so complicated? Why is it so hard? It's not hard to fall in love. I think we can, we can probably all agree on that. I mean, it just happens. But to walk that out, to keep it together, I mean, my, my relationship with Aaron really did not last too long. One kiss, major embarrassment, done, over. If we've been created, hardwired for this type of relationship, why is it so hard? Why is it so complicated? Or perhaps more importantly, what does it take to actually live it out, to experience this kind of love? The sort of love that's even beyond our understanding. The kind of love that just blows our mind, that inspires us, challenges us to to perhaps rethink our views on love and what it means to even fall in love. Where do we find a good example of of this sort of uh, love, this, this sort of romantic kind of love or a dating relationship in the Bible. Any ideas? Throwing out there? Ruth? Ah, yes, Ruth. Alex? Okay, don't read it. Don't, don't read it. No, no one's going to hear you. Yeah, yeah. Romans 13. Yeah. Just hold on. Thank you. Thank you. 13, 10. 13, 10. Okay. Isaac and Rebecca, I heard someone just say. Um, what about Adam and Eve, the original lovers in the garden? Here's, here's the, the truth. Here's the reality. It's a, it's a fun question to think about, but as far as dating relationships go, sort of the romantic kind of relationships that we typically think of when we're talking about love and romance, they really don't exist in the Bible. Okay, and I think we all probably know by now because we, we've, we do internet and that kind of thing, but dating is a modern invention. At least, and, I mean, and every culture has a different sort of way of thinking about dating and courtship and these sorts of things, how you get together, arrange marriages to our modern American attitude towards relationships and the sort of individualism that we all demand and feel entitled to. But dating, this is, this is a recent development. I mean, go back 100 years ago in our marriage, in, in, our, uh, in our country, and a woman would potentially get arrested for going out on a quote-unquote date with a guy. You, you would be seen as a prostitute if you went out with a single man who was buying you dinner and gifts. Okay, that, that would automatically be viewed as a man propositioning a woman. So that was like 100 years ago, less. 
So when we think about dating and this sort of principles or even just an example that we can find in scriptures, we're going to be hard-pressed to find something that directly applies to our modern American context. Nevertheless, we must try. I'm thinking about actually doing a whole sermon series on subjects that the Bible doesn't talk about explicitly. You know, like driving cars, buying houses, I don't know, smoking meth, like all of these things are things we should be thinking about that the Bible doesn't actually address explicitly. So dating, let's, let's go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, the original love story. Genesis 2, starting in verse 18. He's created the world. He's created animals, birds, fish. He created a man. And he went by the name of Adam, which translated literally means dirt, because he came out of it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Can you imagine? So God has recognized that it's not good that man is alone, so he thought, let me, let me, let me bring a helper to him. Let me bring a suitable mate to my man. And he brings him a goat, and he brings him a lizard, and he brings him a duck, and he brings him the platypus, and he, he brings them, and he, he's sort of like bringing each one of these creatures to him, and Adam's like, swipe left, swipe left, swipe left, no, 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 no. And finally, after 50 swipes, God says, right, why don't you take a nap? Just, just. You take a nap, and, uh, and let, me, let me have another go. So verse 21, it says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up his place with its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, Swipe right. <laughs> this is at last. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And this is important. Verse 24 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. We have been made for this stuff. It goes back to the very beginning, creation itself. We've been hardwired for intimacy. And in the case of romantic intimacy, it involves chemistry, oneness and nakedness without any shame. It's good, and this is my first point, it's good that we would desire quote-unquote, romance. We've been made for it. 
And I think it's interesting to note as well that the man wasn't actually alone. God was there. His creator was present. Even the creatures, even creation itself was there to keep man company. And yet God said, no, 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 that's, that's not quite it. You need someone else. It's also worth noting that although this does set a beautiful precedent of sorts when it comes to God's plan, his design for how we're to enjoy intimacy uh, in the context of marriage, it's essentially what we've just read here. It's the first marriage, the coming together of man and woman. This doesn't necessarily say that every single person, man and woman, will indeed experience this sort of relationship. And this is important as well. If you're single and you have zero desire to marry, well, that's quite admirable, in fact. Uh, Jesus never married. Some would argue that he did. There's all sorts of weird and wonderful theories on YouTube. Uh, the Apostle Paul, whom we've just read from extensively, never married. It's an admirable thing. Some are called to celibacy. It could be circumstantial. It could be because you have certain things from your past that it's, that's made it virtually impossible, if not just incredibly difficult for you to be in that kind of relationship. I know for me, before Jesus saved me, before I became a Christian and started following him, um, I had lived one way. I had been uh, sexually active, um, sexually immoral, and uh, that messed me up pretty good. It really did in terms of my sexuality, my mindset, and the way I viewed girls and relationships. Um, I was not in a good place. That was one of the things that Jesus rescued me from. And, uh, you know, I was addicted to porn, addicted to chasing girls, and I needed to be in that kind of relationship because I was incomplete in my identity without it. That's a problem. That's just called uh, addiction. And so he rescued me. And I was single. I was celibate for eight years for eight years. That's exactly what I needed to prepare me to eventually meet my wife and to grow in my understanding of what it looked like to love another person God's way, to experience romance in a way that resembled something of the kind of love that God demonstrated himself in giving his son Jesus. What does it take to experience romance in a way that is just wholly good, life-giving, healthy, sustainable, and all that? I've got some P's for us. We're going to go with the P's this morning, four P's. You guys get with that? Number one. How do we do this? How do we deeply enjoy healthy, lasting, romantic relationships in the light of Jesus' work on the cross? I want to really think positively here, guys. We could talk about all the ways that we can kind of screw up our lives and, and wreck our relationships and, and live in regret, but I want us to leave here this morning with, with some 
some really practical, helpful, biblical tools to apply to our romantic or future romantic relationships. And number one is purpose. If you're going to begin a romantic relationship, proceed with purpose. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says that we are to look to Jesus, who when he hung on the cross, endured its shame because of the joy set before him. He had a vision that empowered him to pay a great price that he might experience something worth enduring the shame. I met with a young man Monday morning, actually, this week. He's in the room. And uh, he wanted to chat with me about uh, a relationship. He says, I have a girlfriend. It's about a month old. And so far, my whole life, I've done it one way. This time around, I really want Jesus to be at the center of our relationship. And I said, that's brilliant. Like, I'm going to do all of my sermon planning on you right now. And I said to him, first things first, okay, you know the rules, right? You know what you shouldn't do, you know what's bad, and we're all that, right? Like there's no confusion, but we can go through the Bible verses if we need to. But we, we get it, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, we get that. Here's what we often miss when it comes to beginning a romantic relationship with the desire to see Jesus at the center. What we're really saying by that is I want to get a vision for what this relationship could become if it does become something at all. I want to begin purposefully building something, a foundation, that if this relationship is meant to last, it, it will last because we've taken the time, we've, we've cultivated the vision, we've grappled with that sense of purpose that anything valuable needs in order to lay a foundation so that 50 years from now, 60, 70, however long you live and might be together, this thing that you're building might actually last. What is your vision for the relationship that you're hoping to see come to pass? You ever think about that? I mean, we have values, we have visions, we have big plans and great purposes for virtually anything that's important to us in life, right? Why not our romantic relationships? Tell me, what's more important than our relationships? There's nothing more important than our relationships because if you don't have those, you've got nothing. So we proceed with purpose. Part of that involves embracing the fact that the God who we model our understanding of love after is a promise-making and keeping God. When we begin a relationship, there should be great gravity about what it is we're beginning together. Because if we're to build a relationship, if we're to set about it in a way that in any way invites Jesus to be at the center, essentially we're saying, 
if this relationship's gonna last, if this, gonna, if this relationship is gonna resemble anything that, that points towards the nature, the character of God, we need to embrace the fact that this God we're inviting to into the center of this relationship, he's a promise-making and keeping God. It's in his very nature. Now, not all relationships last forever. But when we begin a romantic relationship, we should at the very least have a vision in the back of our minds that this could potentially end in a lifelong commitment, uh, what the Bible refers to as a covenant with another person. My very first date, and I'm not suggesting that this is like the precedent, because this, this is pretty crazy. My very first date was Shirley. Uh, we went for a long walk. We were in London, we were walking down the Thames. It was beautiful, I think it was in, in autumn, it was in the fall. I didn't know it was a date either. <laughs> it was, turns out. This is a long story, but we were on a date. And uh, I remember we sat down on a bench and we were having a nice chat. I, I tried one of these. I literally tried one of these. <sighs> Put the arm around her, kind of scooted up next to her. And she very kindly but firmly was kind of like, <clears throat> We should walk a little more. I'm like, yeah, yeah totally. Let's, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, let's walk. <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking, like, this is, like, this something is developing here. Like, I, I, I thought originally she had shut me down, so I was kind of, like, trying to move on. But then I was like, I, I think this is, I think this is happening. Like, I think I have an op- like, a window here to, like, make a move. And we were getting closer and closer to the, to the underground, the, the, the tube station there. And the night was about to end. The date was about to conclude. And I remember thinking to myself, like, like we're about five minutes away from the train. Like, if, if this is going to happen, like, I, I need to make a move now. So as we were walking, I remember I stopped her. I said, hold on, Shirley. Can you just, just stop for a second? Let me... And I, I kind of turned around, I looked her right in the eyes, and I just went for it. I said, Shirley, I just want you to know, like, um, like I'm crazy about you. Like, I, I, don't, I don't do this, I don't say this, I don't, I don't walk around with girls like this. Like, this is a really, really big deal for me. Um, but I want you to know how I feel, and, and I just, I don't know what, I kind of rambled like I'm doing now. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember, this is the part that I remember clearly, she, she waited till I was done, and she said, Simon, what exactly are your, your intentions? I think that was exactly how you said it. And I was like, I, um, you know, I like you, I think you're pretty, like, um, I love Jesus, you love Jesus, like, and she was, she, it was ruthless, it was brutal. She said, mm-hmm, like, okay, but but like, what are your intentions? It's like, oh my gosh, you're killing me. <laughs> and I was so nervous to say the word, because I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serious, I'm gonna ruin this, I'm gonna freak this girl out. But I said, well, honestly, this is how I view these, these kind of things. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna be together, if you wanna, if you wanna be my girlfriend, and, and if we're gonna pursue this, like in my mind, this, this is, 
heading towards marriage. At least, like, potentially. I, I get it. This is our, our first date slash non-date. But, and then she asked me, and so I, I could tell, like, okay, that was good, that was good. She's not freaking out. <laughs> and then she said, well, okay, wonderful, but why me? I was like, I, I don't, you know, because you're awesome. <laughs> I don't know what I said. It worked out. Here's the point, and to, to my wife's credit, she was already thinking about what is the purpose of this? Like, where are we going with this? There was gravity in the moment. We're not just playing a game. This isn't like, oh, this kind of feels good. You got a crush, I got a crush. Like, ha, 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 like, this is cool. Like, we won't be bored for a month. Now, this is, something's happening. This is cool. It's fun. I'm nervous. But the gravity of the moment is real. And we started our relationship with that kind of purpose, which meant that we were thinking from the very outset about building a foundation of trust, of respect, of faith, thinking of very practical and intentional ways of bringing Jesus into the center of our relationship from day one. It also meant that we began to fight for purity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Oh gosh, if I had another 30 minutes or a few weeks, we, we, could, we could say a lot about the role of chemistry in our, our romantic relationships. A physical attraction, as we read in Genesis, it's, it's part of the package. When they were one and naked, that, that part's not actually like spiritual, symbolic. Like I, I think that they were literally naked and one. Like they, they had sex. This, this is part of romance. There's chemistry involved. And if there's not chemistry involved, that's not romance. That's just called like friendship, which is also great. But the chemical aspect of a romantic relationship, that is a big, big deal. That's, that's powerful stuff. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says... Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed not be defiled before God. There's something about sex, and not just sex, because, I mean, what do we mean by that? But physical intimacy, intimacy the, the chemical side of a romantic relationship that's, that's valuable and incredibly powerful. Now, I told you, for, for several years, I was in different relationships. Um, I cohabitated. I had sex before marriage. I had, I had you know, one-night stands. Just all that. Just, just normal, stupid stuff. Uh, I remember um, when I first arrived in London, my very first invitation to speak 
uh, was for an event the campus ministry was doing on the campus at Imperial College. It was in February, right around Valentine's Day, and they wanted to put on this event to talk about, basically, like, come hear what the Christians have to say about sex. And uh, so I was the guest speaker, and my buddy Tosin, who was putting the event on, he introduced me as the sexpert. Super lame. <laughs> this sucks. You were there. Do you remember that? You don't remember? I remember it because I was like, dude, no. Like, why? Why would you even go there? For, for a good chunk of my young adult life, I did it one way. And I, I experienced firsthand the fruit, as we say, of that, not waiting, not protecting the, the power of chemistry in our romantic relationships. The reason why we've been designed to desire and enjoy sex is that it's meant as a bonding agent. It's, it's meant to bring us together. And when you are married, it's important to keep having sex no matter how sleep-deprived you might be, because it's, it's designed to keep that intimacy alive. It's designed to keep you together. And it's a weird thing. I know you might sound like this. You're, dude, you have no idea. No, trust me. After 10 years and three kids, like it's, it's a commitment to keep having sex in your relationship. It's a lot of work. You believe that? If you've married like a year, you're like... Whatever, you need, you need marital counseling. <laughs> Maybe. But if you have sex before you're married, you can create an artificial bond that immediately brings two people together and it short circuits the important process of building that foundation of trust, mutual respect, friendship, and a marriage in a romantic relationship that might lead to marriage. It's powerful. I suspect if, like myself, you've been doing it one way, if you've been having sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and sure, you're committed, you're monogamous, all that, wonderful, good for you, but if you're doing it one way, I suspect that, like me, you've been burned. I was, a, I was like a chemical burn victim walking around with scars, numb, jaded, messed up because I failed to recognize the gift and the power that chemistry was in a relationship, which is why the writer of Hebrews says to don't let the marriage bed be defiled. Protect it. Honor it. Put boundaries around it. Preserve it. Wait for it. And then in the right time, in the right context, enjoy it. And enjoy it for what it was meant to be altogether. Now, I, I know, like, odds are, even in a room as small as ours, there are people, uh, boyfriends and girlfriends, you're not married, you are having sex, uh, you're cohabitating, and... Guys, I'm not saying any of this to make you feel like, like scum. 
or like somehow you, you've blown it and, and your, your, your relationship is doomed. I'm appealing to you. I'm appealing to you. God wants us to experience healthy, lasting relationships. They're gifts. The marriage bed, which speaks to cohabitation, is a gift. There's a way, there's an order, there's a design so that we might fully experience how God wants us to enjoy the kind of love that he himself has demonstrated towards us. Now, if we had time, I'd love to read you some, uh, some of what the sociologists are saying online these days. You know, for a number of years, early to mid-90s, they started producing reports that said, oh, you know, statistically, if you live together, if you cohabitate before you're married, you're more likely to end up in divorce. Um, but now they're saying, like, well, no, if you, if you look at the numbers a bit differently and really what's going on is that it's not so much to do with premarital cohabitation as is it it's to do with, like, the age that people are living together. And, and there's all sorts of de- debate and controversy out there as to, like, okay, well, what is best practice? You know, what, what, where, what is most likely to end up in a lasting marital relationship. And I would just simply say this. I've got some some opinions on the debate myself. But I would say this. God's vision for relationship, for our romantic relationships, potentially marriage, isn't just to simply reduce the probability of divorce. If that's your vision for marriage, well, that's okay, I guess could be worse, but God offers more. God offers more. Which brings us to priceless. We have been bought with a price. This one's quick. When Jesus died on the cross, if nothing else God was demonstrating how much he values us. Why did Jesus die on the cross? For love. For the glory of his Father, for sure. And we could say a lot about the glory of God and the centrality of God. But the joy that was set before him was his bride, was his church. The reason why he was sent to the world is to die so that he might give us new life so that we might be restored into right relationship with our creator guys in Jesus Christ we are priceless you are valuable you may not feel like it maybe you're like look at I'm I'm sort of I'm what what do they call it Damaged goods? I've been around. Okay, I'm no saint. And God would say in Jesus Christ, I beg to differ. You are bought with a price. You are invaluable. Which is why when the scriptures talk about how men and women are to relate to one another in the church, it's always as brother and sister. Sons and daughters of royalty. Princes and princesses. When I first started dating my wife, 
I would often pray, God, help me to love your daughter the way you love her. There was this sense of, I'm, I'm dating a princess. I'm dating royalty. She's priceless, and so am I. Guys, this sort of casual mentality that we often have when it comes to our dating relationships really speaks to our, our lack of value for ourselves and one another. It's not that God is like, um, what's the word? A prude. <laughs> or just kind of uncomfortable when it comes to relationships and sex. I don't think God is inhibited. God values people. And he values our relationships. You are priceless. I would say, you know, we're all into being entitled. There's something redeemable about entitlement. I would say act like you're entitled to royal behavior. Act as if you're entitled to be treated as a son or daughter of the king. A man of integrity, a woman of honor. A person who realizes that my body was not given to me as a play toy. My little three-year-old loves to chuck his toys across the room. He loves breaking them. Super fun. And then they're broken. God has given us our bodies as gifts. Temples. But the very spirit of God himself is meant to dwell. We are vessels of invaluable honor. Finally, power. Never underestimate the power of a new heart. You have the chance to start over. This takes us back to the cross. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're given the opportunity to become new creatures. New people, new creations. When Jesus rescued me, I don't know if you ever heard this term. Might be a little cliche, but I became a born-again virgin. In my mind, I'm like, I'm a new person. You know, it was really, really weird when I gave my life to Jesus and I began to undergo these like internal changes. It wasn't just behavioral. There was something going, going on inside of me. I can remember going home, and uh, the first time I ended up, I, I hooked up with a girl after Jesus had rescued me, I felt this really weird, uncomfortable feeling in my heart, like uh, the feeling I had when I was a little boy, and I snuck up out of bed at night, and I popped in the, the VHS tape, the rated R movie with a bit of nudity in it that my my parents had rented. And I remember watching it feeling like, like this was awesome and like I was going to be sick. It's like that first time, and I don't know if girls can quite connect with this, but when I was like 10 and I was at my buddy John Markley's house and we were playing in his backyard and we noticed a magazine laying in the dirt under a bush in his backyard. We picked it up out of curiosity and it was a penthouse. And we opened it up, and it was glorious. And I felt 
sick. It, it, was, it was like, I just knew, like, this is wrong. And my parents were like full-blown hippies. We, n- nothing negative that I can remember was ever, ever said about sex in my home growing up. But something inside me just felt like gut-wrenched that this is wrong. Jesus saved me, and that feeling was like restored. I felt convicted. I felt guilty that, wow, I'm not acting like who I am, messing around like this, getting with this girl, using my body like a play toy. Guys, I want to... We're going to close here, but I want to give you the opportunity. Ben, can you come up now as we get ready to close? I want to really give you the opportunity to make a decision this morning. Guys, I realize that I've just attempted to, like, in, in 40 minutes, push back, like, 100 years of, like, social norms and, you know, just this impossible tide of, of how we now view relationships and dating but I don't want to I don't want us to underestimate the power of a new heart you can start over you can you can turn away from how you've been living and what society in our world says that's just totally normal there's nothing wrong with that I say rubbish I, I've been there done that there's everything wrong with that God offers a better way. He says, I've got a vision for your relationship. If you'll trust me, if you'll follow me, if you'll surrender your heart to me, I'll give you a new one. This is what the prophet Ezekiel talks about. God says, I want to give you a new heart, and I want to fill it with my spirit. You you quoted Romans earlier. Romans Chapter 5, verse 5 says that God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. You have a chance to start over today. Maybe you're living with your girlfriend. Maybe you're cohabitating and you're sharing a bed and you're not married. And you think, well, what, you know, what, what does a piece of paper have to do with our relationship before God? Nothing. But it's not about that. It has nothing to do with the piece of paper has everything to do with inviting Jesus into the very center of your relationship and saying, okay, God, you call the shots. And then trust him. I want to invite you to be, to be born again this morning, to be given a new heart, and to trust Jesus with arguably the most valuable thing you'll ever possess or experience in life. And that is your relationships.